I'm Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Sakara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life. Well, we are very excited for you to listen to this podcast today with Dr. Mark Hyman. He has been a close friend and advisor to us over the years, really influencing the way that we think about health, about food, about nutrition, about how food is medicine, food is information, and you are making a choice for your body and for the planet with every bite you take. He just came out with his new book, Food Fix, How to Save Our Health, Our Economy, Our Communities, and Our Planet, One Bite at a Time. It is such an important book to read. Everybody should read it. He is also a practicing family physician, an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. He's the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center and the head of strategy and innovation of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. On top of that, he is a 12-time New York Times best-selling author and board president for the clinical affairs for the Institute of Functional Medicine. Dr. Mark Hyman is a regular medical contributor to several television shows and networks, including the CBS Morning Show, The Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, and CNN. We are so excited to have you here today. When was the last time we saw each other? Uh, we were riding our bikes, and you were pregnant, I think. Uh, I, oh, on maybe. Apply at Burning Man, <laughs> we were paddling along somewhere. Yes. I don't know where we were going to. We were not pregnant yet. Maybe not pregnant yet, but we were on the we were on the playa together. That was a few years ago. I do remember a baby thing. Somehow. Yeah, I think maybe that was the last time I saw you when I was yeah, pregnant. Yeah. Maybe at Summit. Yeah. No, that might have been the last time. I don't know. Anyway. You were riding your bike pregnant. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm conflating two things, but I do, I do remember we had a great conversation. Well, it's so good to see you again. Yeah. Whitney and I are obviously huge fans. We've known you for, we've known you since we started Sakara. We mm-hmm. met you, I think, in maybe year two starting Sakara. Yeah. Now it's year Back eight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about six years yeah, ago. Yes. And we're obviously huge fans. We listen to your podcast. Yeah, The Doctor's Pharmacy. Everybody has to check it out. Yeah, and you know, we have a Sakara library and your books are in there. All of them. And they're on our reading list. For That's good because I don't even know where I, I haven't, I can't place all my books. I got to order them online because I don't have a copy of all of them. <laughs> Give them all away. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of them if you need them. Um, but you're on, yeah, you're on the reading list for our employees to read, to understand some of the science behind why we make some of our choices here yeah. at Sakara. Yeah. yeah. And so we like to start our podcast episodes with the why, with the mission. And so we'd love to hear a bit about your mission, what do you believe mm. your mission is here on Earth? Well, that's a great question. I thought about that a lot. And it's really about ending needless suffering. 
there's so much suffering and some of we can't do anything about. A hurricane comes, something terrible happens that you know you can't avoid, but so much suffering is so needless. And as a doctor, the thing that strikes me most is that we have the solutions for most of the illness and suffering of chronic disease, which affects six out of 10 people on America, 75% of us are overweight, and that food is the most powerful drug to fix it. Uh, and yet people are not connecting the dots. And functional medicine is a bigger framework where food is medicine is a key part of the treatment model. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's using a systems-based approach to get to the root cause of disease and, and heal people. I mean, I just a couple of quick stories. I, I was sitting ha- having dinner with some friends the other night in a restaurant in New York called Hearth, which is amazing, like grass-fed, organic, delicious, amazing food. This guy comes over to me towards the end of dinner. He's like, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just... You know, like I'm a vet. I was in Afghanistan and Iran, and I had suffered, you know, terrible depression and all these psychiatric issues and health issues, and I was really struggling. And my girlfriend told me about your books. I read them, and I, I did what you said. I changed my diet, and I, and I, I'm completely healthy now. I'm off my 100 milligrams of Zoloft. I feel amazing, and I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like, as that's, you know, these guys just suffer and suffer, and there's, mm-hmm. they're not connecting the dots. And another. Uh, yesterday, I was I was re-recording a little bit of audio, my audio book on food fix, um, and the audio engineer, you know, grabbed me. He says, "Doctor, I just want to thank you." I'm like, well, "What did I do? I don't ever met you before." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, my sister had MS, hmm. and she went to your center at the Ultra Wellness Center, and she got treated with food and other things, and she was going blind, and she was, you know, having weakness and paralysis, and now she's completely normal." I just want to thank you, you know, and I think. When I hear those stories, I'm like, this is, should not be the exception. This should be what everybody has. And so, you know, then I sort of thought about my patients as, as sort of the core and people, individuals. But then I realized that individuals live in a bigger context. They live in, in the world and they live in the food environment that we live in. And the reason they're so sick is because a lot of it has to do with our ultra processed food, which is 60% of our diet in America, which is, you know, the usual junk food, sodas, candies. Yep packaged good. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. bad. And I realized, well, I'm not going to be able to heal my patients in my office or in the hospital or the clinic. I have to heal them in the kitchen, you know, in the grocery store, in the restaurant. I have to heal them in the halls of Congress, in the White House, where policies are made. And so I, I sort of widened my view, which is really why I wrote this book, Food Fix, How to Save Our Health, Our Economy, Our Communities, and Our Planet, One Bite at a Time, because I realized that I have to think of the patient as us, not just one human being, but as as all of us, and if yeah. and if people uh, can't make the right choices because they don't have access, because the food that's made, the majority of the food that's made is killing us. I mean, it kills eleven million people a year. I mean, ultra processed yeah. food. Yeah, and th- I think that's an underestimate. This is from 195 countries. A study called the Global Burden of Disease Study, published last year, a couple of years ago, and it was it was like wow, eleven million people. But if you look at, you know all the chronic diseases, it's probably more like 40 million, more than probably three quarters mm-hmm. of the deaths on the planet are coming from, in some part, because of our, our bad food on the planet. And I had mm-hmm. to fix that. I mean, your book is a big book, Food Fix. Well, Daniel, yeah. I'm, deep in it. I'm deep in it right now. Like it's, big as in like many pages or big as in like no, big idea? <laughs> big idea, really important. Um, and, 
you know, I, I want to get into it because there's, there's so much good stuff in there. And I have to say, I really love how you talk about not just all the issues, but then what we can do, the, the action yeah. that yeah. we can take. It's really important because you get through the beginning of the chapter and you're like, holy shit, now what? Yeah, and now then what? you're like, okay, well, this Here's is now what? Yeah. <laughs> but before we get there, can you talk a little bit about why our food choices impact our health and, and why have, why do so many people think that that is not the case. You know, I always yeah, talk about, it's striking. It's striking. And, and at Sakara, we always talk about, you know, food is medicine. We talk about food is information. We talk about why people have this disconnection between the food choices you make every single day impacting your health, even though when they take an Advil, they think it'll, you know, help their headache or whatever. And it goes through the same digestive tract that your food does. And you know, a little tiny pill has an impact on how you feel, but yet an entire plate of food, not so much. It's just about calories and carbs and whatever. Right. I mean, that's really true. The basic framework around food is its energy, that it's just calories. So it doesn't matter where you get them from. If it's a thousand calories of Coke or a thousand calories of broccoli, it's the same. And, and I think what, what is frustrating to me is that the, the medical establishment, the nutrition establishment, most academic scientists, the government, and of course the food industry all buy into this idea that weight loss and, and food is just about calories. Calories in, calories out, eat less, exercise more. It doesn't work for people mm-hmm. because it turns out that like you said, you're eating a tiny little pill with a few ingredients and it can have huge effects on your body. Why can't we imagine that the food makes a difference? And so in, in food is not just calories. And by the way, all calories are not the same because they're the same from a physics point of view. If you burn them in the lab, if you take a thousand calories of broccoli and a thousand calories of Coke and you literally combust it, it'll release the same amount of energy. And a calorie is basically the amount of energy required to raise the temperature of one liter of water, one degree centigrade. That's the definition of a calorie. That's it. But when you eat it, it's very different. And it has, it it actually isn't a math problem. It's a metabolism and a biology problem. And so sort of the example I always give is if you're, if you're throwing a pound of feathers and a pound of lead in a vacuum, now, if a, a certain height, they'll drop at exactly the same rate. Right. If you drop them it's off the system. George Washington Bridge, the feathers are going to float and the lead's going to go boom. Why? Because air. <laughs> you can't see it. You can't right. smell it. Well, some places you can. <laughs> you can't taste it. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to. But mm-hmm. it's there. In the same way, our metabolism is there. And so the then the question is, you know, what what does food have in it that is doing all this stuff to us and how does it affect everything? So we know that food changes your gene expression. It's the major, it's the major thing that you interact with every day that regulates every single aspect of your biology from your gene expression to your hormones, to your brain chemistry, to your microbiome, which you guys focus on, to your immune system. Every single bite of food does it not over decades, but literally over minutes and hours in real time changes what's going on in your biology. And so you either upgrade or downgrade your biology with every single bite. You you can literally program your software to be healthy or program it to be sick by the choices you make with what you eat. And so, uh, and and it's not just the protein, fat, and carbs, uh, not just the vitamins and minerals, but there's a whole array of chemicals in food called phytochemicals or phytonutrients, which you guys focus on. You said you had 80 different plants you'll get in a day. Yeah. I mean, 
the the world eats most most people just eat about three corn, uh, corn soy, and soy wheat. and wheat, <laughs> right? And and uh, there's about twelve plants that are probably eighty or ninety percent of the world's diet. And, wow! And yet we used to eat eight hundred species of plants as hunter gatherers and hundred grams of fiber and hundred grams of fiber. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's good students. And so <laughs> uh, all that means that that we're not taking advantage of this incredible medicine that that can regulate our bodies in ways that create extraordinary health. You know, like I'm 60 and I just did my telomere test and I'm kind of bragging a little bit, but like it was 39. It was wow. 39. So I'm like, so I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm learning more and more every day about what is in food that is so powerful. Like, And how did we, I mean, that's so moving. And, and you know, we at Sakara, we know that to be true. That is the foundation of every decision we make when we think about serving our clients. But how did we ever get here? How did we ever get to a place where people don't think that food is medicine? How did we get to a place where we think it's okay to live on corn, soy, and wheat? Well, I mean, the idea that food is medicine is not new. I mean, Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine, medicine be thy food. In China, the word for for taking your medicine, like take your pills, is eat your medicine. Sure, yeah. And and they understand that food is pharmacology. Yep. They understand that that they need this and this and this ingredient that have different properties. I wrote a I wrote a uh, an editorial once, I think it was called Eating Medicine, Food is Pharmacology. And it was basically the analysis of a meal I had in China that was incredibly rich in all sorts of ingredients, including ginkgo nuts and various, mm-hmm. you know, things that we eat uh, that have incredible properties that are far beyond just the, the calories or the protein, fat, and far, fiber, and carbs. And the truth is that it also matters the quality of the food you eat. Yes. So you can say protein, but you can get, you know, protein from really poor sources. Or if you say fat, you can get, you know, industrial refined oils and hydrogenated shortening or Crisco, that's fat. Very different than uh, nuts or avocados or olive oil. Right. right? And they have profoundly different effects on your biology. For example, if you take omega-3 fats from fish or algae, there's something called EPA, which is a critical fat that makes up 60% of your, I mean, EPA and DHA, if those omega-3 fats make about 60% of your brain. Every single cell membrane of your, you know, 100 trillion cells is made up of this fat. And it's important for regulating information, for mood, for regulating gene expression. I could go on and on. And when you eat, for example, trans fat, it binds to the receptor on your nucleus called PPAR that creates a whole cascade of negative effects. It slows your metabolism, it creates inflammation, and it creates diabetes. Whereas the same uh, receptor when it's bound by the fish fat, right, Mm -hmm. the EPA, is the opposite. It speeds up your metabolism, it turns on genes that that fight inflammation, and it actually actually helps reverse diabetes. So it's molecule for molecule, I mean, the same gram of, of fat, but right. had profoundly different impacts on your biology. I know. I was listening to one of your podcasts. You had Dave Asprey on, and you guys were talking about this. <laughs> we were just laughing the whole time. <laughs> topic. <laughs> but I think one thing you guys talked about was how uh, now pharmaceutical companies are creating fish oil capsules. Yeah. And they're prescribing it to people with high cholesterol mm-hmm. and all these different things. And it's showing scientific proven yeah. results yeah, works. to have effect. Yeah, yeah that it works. Yeah. And But people don't realize that you know they it's can see the, this one this one little pill of oil that much oil just one yeah. capsule full can have that strong of, of an effect on your body but yeah. think about one capsule full of 
bad oil that you're getting from cheap French fries or salad dressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's an incredible story. Um, I heard from my friend, William Lee, who wrote a book called Eat to Beat Disease. Uh, He's Mm. an incredible scientist, just brilliant dude. And uh, he sort of looks at the different properties of food. And his mother had stage four uterine cancer and was about to die. And all the traditional treatments weren't working. And through his research, he understood that they were using a drug called the checkpoint inhibitor, which is basically immunotherapy. It's drugs that activate your immune system. So it's sort of an, it's better than chemotherapy. And it either works or it, you know, you're cured or it doesn't work. And it turns out that in patients who have low levels of a certain gut bacteria, which is fed by polyphenols that come from plant foods, the, the drugs don't work. You just die. Wow. And he gave his mother, who had very low levels of this bacteria called acromancy, he gave her a cocktail to grow the good bugs in her gut. Cranberry, pomegranate, green tea, which will feed these bacteria their food, and they'll thrive. And then she was completely cured of her uterine cancer. Wow. So, and, I, and I've treated patients with ulcerative colitis and immune disorders. In fact, yeah. I, I personally had a, a health problem a few years ago. Yeah, I remember. I got really sick. It's a long story. I got mold poisoning and from my house and broke my arm. And I got, you know, drug, uh, bad tooth and an antibiotic. And I got C. diff and colitis. And it's just my whole wow. system spiraled out. I broke my arm. My goodness. <laughs> it was like, a, you know, perfect storm. But then what happened was I had, I had developed, and I had normal digestion most of my life. And then I had developed colitis, which is very unusual for a guy in his 50s, right? Mm-hmm. It's often after you get an infection like that. And I, I tested my stool and had very low acromancia. So I developed this cocktail that was including those components, plus a few other things that I've learned the, over the years for functional medicine and put together this gut shake to grow the acromancia. And literally within three weeks, I went from 20 bloody bowel movements a day to like perfectly formed normal poop, which Amazing. they wow. were about to put me on, you know, powerful mm-hmm. immune suppressing drugs. Of course. That's and, the and power they, of food. And they give you, you know, my mom had C. diff. Um, and I called Dr. Robin Chutkin. Do you know Dr. Robin mm, Yes, She's I had seen I, She was she, helping me when I was sick. Yeah, too. she was on our podcast a couple weeks ago. And I called her and she gave me a cocktail of probiotics to give my mom. My mom had been on antibiotics for 12 weeks because okay. they give you antibiotics and you have C. diff, which is so crazy. Well, um, they, actually, the best treatment is a fecal transplant. Right. Well, yep. Danielle looked into that. I looked she into was that. But luckily, the, doing one at home the probiotics, yeah, Robin Chutkin gives you, a, like, gives you step-by-step how to do it on your own. But luckily, the probiotics help. But maybe, you know, our listeners are very educated, but maybe from your perspective, can you first just define the microbiome that you're speaking to? Well, it's also known as poop. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But, you know, we just thought, oh, it's just waste. It just, you know, Mm -hmm. it just goes through you, you digest, it's like nothing, right? And what's amazing is the science has exploded in the last decades to this discovered the power of this whole ecosystem in your gut to control almost every aspect of your health and in functional medicine for the last 30 years it's been the center of our approach to treating most chronic illness uh, whether it's autoimmune disease or whether it's depression or allergies or and on and on so it's sort of not new news to us but it's new news to the world and now you've got you know, the, the, the uh, America's Cup sailors testing their microbiome to optimize it, to increase their athletic performance, right? So, wow. Uh, and the microbiome essentially is a whole ecosystem of bugs in your gut. Uh, it's about 10 times as many bugs as your own cells. So that's about 100 trillion. You have about 10 trillion. It has 
a hundred times as much DNA as your own DNA. Wow. So you have 20,000 genes. It's about as much as an earthworm. There's about two to three million microbial genes in your gut. Now, why does that matter? What genes do is they make proteins. Those proteins regulate your biology. And we have found that in your blood, you know, we don't exactly know yet, but maybe up to 30, 40% or even more of your metabolites in your blood come from bacteria. So you're only partly human, right? Yeah. And they, what hosts. are they doing? They're regulating your mood. They're regulating the immune system. They're regulating uh, your cholesterol. They're re- I mean, they're just regulating everything that, that matters. And so that's why we've seen that changes for the worse in the microbiome have led to increases in obesity and diabetes and cancer and heart disease and autoimmune disease and allergies and autism. I mean, they're doing fecal transplants on autistic kids and seeing dramatic changes in these kids' behavior, able to talk. I mean, just think Incredible. about that for a minute. Yeah. So. When you think about the microbiome, the real question is how do you create a healthy inner garden, right? Because mm-hmm. everything we do in our society does the opposite, except yep. if you buy Sakarla <laughs> product, because that actually works. But, but the, the truth is that our diet, low in fiber, high in processed ingredients, high in gut-busting ingredients like, like emulsifiers, thickeners, all these sort of healthy nut milks have carrageenan in them and healthy whole food stuff, it's like – these, you have to be really careful because a lot of gut-busting chemicals and emulsifiers in our diet. We are uh, eating tons of sugar that fertilizes all the wrong bugs, and we're not feeding them any of these polyphenols that they need. And we're, we're doing gut-busting habits like drinking, and we're taking medications like Advil or, or uh, antibiotics or hormones. Even the birth control pill messes it up. Acid-blocking drugs, which are for heartburn, and even mess it up worse. Uh, and so you've got all that. And then, you know, we've got kids born by C-section, not breastfed. That makes it worse. So you've got a whole society with really bad poop. Yep. And, and literally who can't get their shit together. <laughs> and, and it's like it's a crisis because it's, it's why partly why we see six out of ten Americans with a chronic illness. And the, the amazing thing is if you understand how it works and you understand how to grow your inner garden, take the weeds out, put in the good stuff, feed the bugs the right way. You know, if you have a plant at home, you know you have to take care of it. It needs the right light and food and water. Yeah. It's the same thing. And so while it's kind of scary that it's all such a mess, the the other side of the coin is we now know how to actually help optimize it. And it's and the science around this is exploding. So we're just at the infancy. Yep. Functional medicine was sort of like walking around with a blindfold trying to do it as best we could. But what was amazing is it worked even if we didn't exactly know what was happening. Right? We do different dietary changes, we've got probiotics, we take out the bad bugs, we sort of just do what we call the 5R program in functional medicine, which is a reset program for your gut, and people would get better. You know, I would see rheumatoid arthritis get better, I would see people's autism get better, I would see you know, people lose tons of weight. I mean, it was, just, it was amazing to see when you start to play with that. Yeah, I think that was one of the big aha moments for us, where you know, starting the business that we have, it's very operational, operationally heavy. It's we're working with fresh food, organic food, we're cooking it, mm-hmm. we're delivering it, people mm-hmm. have to like it. Mm-hmm. It's really rough. It's mm-hmm. it's not an easy business. It's a labor of love. Yeah, it's a labor of love. <laughs> but we started to get how do I how these, do I get on the mailing list for that to get to get more of that? Because I got I know, well, we'll, get you. we'll ship it to you. We ship everywhere in the well, I'm, continental I'm like US. Six blocks from here. Okay. Well I think I think, <laughs> I think we, we, can, we can deliver to that zip good. <laughs> Um, but we we started getting testimonials, and I remember early on we got one from a young woman who 
She had started fainting at work. She was in her early 30s and really healthy, a runner, and then all of a sudden started fainting at work, and she started seeing these doctors. They didn't know what was wrong with her. Went to one doctor, and they said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but you have AIDS, and you're going to die. And she's like, what? How would I get AIDS? I don't know how this is possible. Went to see another doctor. No, no, not AIDS. You have cancer, and you're going to die. Cancer? What? This is crazy. How is that? How did I get cancer? And she finally went around after five doctors, and they diagnosed her with lupus. And, and um, eight years ago, nobody was talking yeah. about autoimmune disorders. Like, it was kind of like it was in your head. I mean, you were, but very few doctors. Right. And well, they were bit. talking about it and treating it, but it was just using steroids. Steroids, and yeah. They weren't talking about, about I, the microbiome. It was all IBS, yeah. Right. And so they put her on different drugs to treat this, and she started going into renal failure. And so she found Saqqara just searching online to find something. She decided she was going to take her health into her own hands and turn to food as medicine. And then she did. She was on the program for a while and she, she healed herself. Yeah. And you know, it was moments like that (laughs) where we were like, Oh shit, we have to keep going. We have to help people. So you you actually started a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, now we just have to get, like, the funding for all the studies that the pharmaceutical companies get. Right. We're working um, on that. Yeah. Working on that. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the initiative I'm working on around food fix is a yeah. campaign to help drive Congress to appropriate money for research and food yes. medicine and study if, things like this. If you could drive down the cost of organic produce, that would be amazing. Well, I mean, yeah, we should talk about that if, if we can for a minute because, you know, yeah. my book, Food Fix, I talk about the true cost of food. Yeah. What is the true cost of food? So the price you pay— at the grocery store, at a restaurant, is not the true cost of the food you're buying. Mm. Right? The true cost, for example, of industrial food is is paid for by all of us in different ways. Yeah, One, subsidized. Yeah. is paid for in our health through mm. the production of processed food that mm. makes us sick and die early. It's paid for by the harm to our society because uh, we're, we're feeding our, our, our poorest and also the, the, the minority folks in this country, more of this food that's that's proven, and they have struggled with poverty and attention and behavior issues, where what is the cost of the intellectual capital of our future? You know, when kids eat processed food, their brains are 10% smaller, and they have lower IQ by seven points. What is the cost of that? I mean, it's immeasurable. Then there's, of course, the environmental costs, uh, the loss of biodiversity. I mean, pollinator species are decreasing at an increasing rate. We're losing soil. We're going to have 60 harvests left if we don't get our act together to build soil back because of how we farm. And that soil helps draw down carbon out of the atmosphere and can reverse climate change. And then food, the food system itself is the number one cause of climate change. And you add it all up together from deforestation to soil erosion to factory farming of animals, transport, refrigeration, processing, food waste, all of it. So what is the real cost of industrial food? Uh, it should be... 10, 100 times that, right? What is the cost of, an, you know, the, or, and, and even organic can sometimes be grown in ways that are not totally regenerative, that, that mm-hmm. actually aren't great for the soil. But if you have a true regenerative farm, there's actually there's actually a company now and, and, and a lot of efforts around how do we pay farmers to pr- pay for the value? So so now the average farmer loses $1,600 a year, which is striking, and they're supported by the government through subsidies and crop insurance and so forth. But this company called Indigo, is is actually using tech to measure ecosystem benefits, you know, building soil, water conservation, biodiversity. So they're paying the farmers for the benefit. So maybe the cost of a grass-fed steak should be $3 and the 
cost of a fee less state should be $1,000 if you account for all the right, costs. Right, the implications. Yeah, and the same thing for processed food and soda. I mean, yeah. why, is, why, is, why is water uh, four times the cost of soda? Right. You know, and like I, yeah, I went wow. online, I looked at Smart Water, which is made by Coca-Cola. And, and I looked at a big bottle. And I looked at a big bottle of like Pepsi. And I was like, wow, the, the water is nine cents an ounce. The soda is two cents an ounce. And I'm like, there's something wrong with this picture. Yeah. Whoa. Mind-blowing. I mean, the price of fruits and vegetables has gone up 40%, and the price of soda and processed food has gone down almost the same. And that's because of, of just the, the inequities in the system. Farmers, farmers get penalized if they farm vegetables and fruit on their land. If you're a 5,000-acre you know, industrial farmer doing monocrop soy or corn, you want to grow a five-acre plot of vegetables, the government says, if you do that, we're not going to put any supports to your farm anymore. You're not eligible for any, any government aid. <laughs> I'm like, how crazy is that? That's wild. And I, I, let's, let's dig in there because um, I'd love to talk about you know, why food policy, subsidizing farms, all these things. Why don't they why – don't, why aren't they really looking out for our health? You know, my, my grandfather – uh, he passed away about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, but he was 99. But I remember in his late 80s, I went home to Sedona to go see him. And he, we were sitting at the breakfast table and he walked over to the fridge and he came back with a bottle of Ensure. And, you know, my grandpa... Recommended had, by his doctor, I'm yes. sure. <clears throat> and my grandpa, you know, always been really healthy, never had anything wrong with him. You know, he'd have he like... to 99. He lived to 99. He'd have, you know, his... Uh, his like brand breakfast every morning, no raisins. Um, and, you know, he, I talked to him about what is in Ensure, mm. um, you know, corn solids, corn syrup, uh, corn sugar, syrup, sugar, artificial flavors, colors. Lots and he just, dairy. yeah, he just couldn't get his brain around two things. One, why his doctor would ever recommend something that actually wasn't good for him. And two, why would the grocery store carry something that was toxic? Like he just couldn't get his brain around it and he and he almost didn't really believe me. You know, he yeah. grew up in like, you know, the twenties and thirties and it was it was different. And the relationship to your your corner grocery store was different and to fast food. Well, he and, grew up on organic, regenerative, right. you know, grass fed meat. Exactly. Like, there was nothing else back then. Naturally. Exactly. Years ago. Exactly. And I always say that I'm like, you know, organic is just how it and regenerative is just how it used to be. It's not supposed to be special. Yeah. Um, but anyway, how did By we the way, get— Grandpa, that's what you ate growing up. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I know. But how did we get to this place where we can't trust that, you know, food policies, the FDA, EPA is really mm. looking out for our health? Well, it's, you know, started out, I think, with good intentions. I don't think there was a bunch of evil people getting together and food companies saying, let's create bad food that's going to poison the planet and kill people. Like, I don't think that would ha was happening. I think, you know, what happened was, particularly after World War II, there was a real need to feed a growing population, to address hunger throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real effort to mechanize uh, and to industrialize agriculture, to scale it. And so ideas of these big factory farms, these big combines, these big monocrop fields, uh, use, using uh, tons of fertilizer, herbicides, and pesticides was, was sort of seen as a sort of great modern advance. And it was designed to create a lot of good, uh, what they thought were good starchy calories, right? Lots of 
carbs, refined carbs, mm-hmm. which everybody thought was fine. He, nobody knew that it was that bad. He, you know, now it's sort of obvious sugar not good and, you know, starches aren't that great for you. Refined starches, I mean, grains, beans, all that stuff's fine. But then we discovered, you know, wow, these pesticides are bad. And these fertilizers are damaging the soil. And, yeah, we're using irrigation. It's depleting our water. And, yeah, we're killing all the pollinators and, like, or creating food that's making everybody sick. And so you've got all of a sudden this this monster that emerged from a set of good intentions and policies that, that actually did meet the needs of, of a growing population and provided food, but it just provided the wrong food. And so now we're sort of having to go, wait a minute. And then what happened is it became a monster and there became this consolidation of the food industry. So most people don't realize this, and I, I didn't realize it. The biggest industry on the planet is the food industry. It's $15 trillion, 17% of the world's economy. It employs the most people. In America, it's the biggest employer in food and farm workers, less farmers, but more food workers, who, by the way, we spend about $150 billion taken care of because we don't pay them enough and the, we're not paying for their salary that, you know, in the cost of the food. The cost should be higher so the workers can actually have a living wage, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you've got, you know, the, 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 this whole monster that's evolved and uh, a whole set of policies that support it. And now it's like, what? You know, you can't just stop that super tanker. It, it's hard to turn. But there are companies that are starting to kind of wake up, and there are parts of the policymakers that are waking up. You know, I don't know if you heard about it, but General Mills committed a million acres to regenerative ag. Uh, Danone and, and Nestle, which are some of the biggest food companies, have regenerative ag programs and sustainability programs. They've quit the Grocery Manufacturers of America, which is their trade association that they felt wasn't representing their interests anymore. They they actually um, you know use Kellogg's, which is you know pretty big brand, making a lot of cereal, were kind of outed for having more glyphosate or Roundup, which is an herbicide, in their Cheerios than vitamin A or vitamin D by the Environmental Working Group, which I'm on the board of. So frightening. And and they were like, because of that consumer demand and outcry, they literally, like I think this past week, announced that they were going to have no more glyphosate in any of their food and they were going to change the supply stage. So so if General Mills... Or Kellogg's goes, we're buying all these raw materials from these farms, and we don't want any glyphosate. Guess what? Like, it's going to change the whole system. So it's going to come from business innovation. It's going to come from grassroots people pushing industry to do the right thing. It's going to come from, you know, people getting active in government. You know, people don't think it's possible to do anything, but I think it is. And and there's lots of ways to get things done that are sort of, you know, non-traditional things. But I think the more people push, the more change happens. And the more Congress members see that their constituents want and demand this, the more they're going to show up for it because they fear about getting voted out, right? Mm. So I think we have the power. I mean, there was a there's a great group called the Food Policy Action Group, which is uh, you know, foodpolicyaction.org. You can look up your congressman or senator, and it shows their voting record on food and ag policies. So if they're, like, in bed with Monsanto or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have good voting records, you can get them out. In fact, they, they instituted, there was two pretty nefarious congressmen who were in the pocket of big food and ag. They outed them, and they got booted out of Congress. They voted, got voted out, and they, all they did was a grassroots social media campaign. So we have tremendous power. We just feel powerless, but we're not. And you're speaking a lot to um, glyphosate and pesticides and herbicides. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little and what kind of implications they have on health? And well, maybe how they're also connected to genetically modified organisms as well, GMOs. 
Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of questions. Okay. <laughs> a lot of questions. So, so our current agricultural system is based on using big farms that depend on lots of fertilizer, pesticides, and herbicides. And certain seeds are designed to resist the effect of pesticides like BT cotton or resist the effect of herbicides like um, GMO soy or other, other related things. So there's really only two major genes that are GMO. One is a pesticide-resistant, one is a glyphosate-resistant. You think, oh, that's going to mean, you know, they're going to be able to use these and they won't need that much of them. But what happens is these these bugs and these herbs and the weeds mutate or change mm-hmm. or adapt. So they kind evolve, of yeah. they evolve. And so you, there's more and more of these things used. It's, there's billions of pounds of this stuff. And then and the fertilizer, for example, starts working less and less over time. So you need, you know, use two-thirds less effective. We use seven times more fertilizer. We use 400 billion pounds a year, which is like, who cares about fertilizer? Well, it's the biggest user of natural gas from fracking, which emits huge amounts of methane. 40 percent of our methane emissions come from that. They produce 30 40 percent more methane than than in regular oil wells, and they and it's about a quarter of all methane emissions, about as much as factory farm animals. So if you're growing, you know, industrial vegetables and using and using all this stuff, it's just as bad as eating a factory farm cow if you're a vegan in terms yep. of you know, the effects. And so and then the and then the nitrous oxide, once you put it on the soil, it kills the soil, which you need to draw down carbon and and then it turns into nitrous oxide, which is three hundred times more potent a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, and then it runs off in the rivers, lakes and oceans and creates dead zones because it causes these big algal blooms that suck oxygen out, kills the fish, and there's 212,000 metric tons of fish that get killed every year in the Gulf of Mexico, and there's 400 of those areas around the world that feed a half a billion people. So, like, we're in this kind of dire crisis that we have to solve. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, while those dr- those drugs, you know, actually I was, I was like, I don't know why they invited me to speak there. It was like a big ag conference, and it was, you know, all the big players there, and I gave a speech years ago, and I'm like sitting next to the guy, he's Mr. Cargill, and I'm sitting next to... Like this other guy, I'm like, so what do you do? He said, well, I'm in plant medicine. I'm like, oh, that sounds really awesome. What do you do? He said, well, we make pesticides. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know? and, uh, so I mean, there's a whole industry around this. But people are waking up to the fact that we can't do this anymore yeah. and that it's, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill the very industry that it's, that it's created. It. And, yeah. and so I think there's a movement towards something called regenerative agriculture, which pe- people may not understand. But essentially it's, it goes beyond organic to, to sort of – ask the question, how do we restore the farms, the ecosystems? How do we bring back animals and bees and butterflies? And, and what pollinate? about humans to and the farms? Because I come from a family of farmers and they're living in towns down in the south. And these towns are basically ghost towns now yeah. because all of the farms that used to supply tons of jobs to people yeah. are now... Mega farms. They're all operated from their phone, from yeah. tech. It's yeah. all tech-enabled, so it's yeah. one farmer taking yeah. care of huge plots of land. Yeah. Or, you know, I have an uncle who was taking care of 75,000 chickens by himself at 80 years old. Right. So yeah. just all based off his Android well, he phone. plucking them all. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, yeah, no, I agree. It's, but, it's crazy. We need to bring the farmers back Absolutely. to the farm. Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the average age of farmers is like 57 and maybe going on 80. And, and we need a new generation. The whole regenerative movement is helping to inspire that. And when you when you actually do that type of farming, it, it actually adds you know carbon to the soil. It holds water. It eliminates or reduces the need for these chemicals and fertilizers. It creates more resilience to drought and floods. It actually produces better quality food in ways that are better for the animals that actually um, 
also help to to provide more money for the farmers. I mean, the, yeah. this one guy, I know Gabe Brown, is a North Dakota farmer. His farm was destroyed in hail, storms, and all kinds of stuff. And he went to regenerative farming, and now he made 20 inches of soil. He can hold 25,000 gallons uh, per acre for every 1% organic matter. He's got like 6% organic matter now. And he you know, makes better food, higher higher quality food. He makes his own fertilizer through the animals. That's an integrated farm of lots of plants and animals. And he makes 20 times the money as his neighbor, Yeah, which is crazy. And so, I mean, I think this is going to happen. And then the UN recently said that there's you know, about 5 million acres of degraded land around the world. And if we just spent $300 billion, uh, which is about the military budget of the entire world for 60 days, two months, right, uh, that we could restore 2 million of those acres and stop climate change from progressing for 20 years. Wow. I mean, they're, they're, this is the greatest carbon capture technology in the world. It's free. It's called photosynthesis. It's been around for billions of years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Going, we, carbon capture and these big, huge investments in billions of dollars. I'm like, yeah, hello, everybody. There's right. incredible carbon capture technology. That yeah. it's, we don't have to invent it. No. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's also amazing to think we, so we provide 68 cups of greens in every single meal. Greens are a big part of, or every single day of our greens. food. Leafy greens, greens. Leafy greens. And so we work with uh, a regenerative farmer who supplies most of our greens. Okay, hold and, on, hold on, hold on. So you, I just want to break down for people because people, you said six to eight cups of greens. Leafy greens Okay, per okay. Day. so what, what the government says is to eat five to nine servings. A serving is a half a cup. So you're talking about like like 18 servings. Oh, yeah. And that's 18 servings, not, not five servings. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think this is the answer to what we need. We yeah. need, you know, this is like when you hear five to nine, that's minimum, right? I think we, should be, eating, we should be eating, you know, eight to nine cups, which is probably, you know, 16 to 18 servings a day. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, when you were talking about regenerative farms, I was thinking it's the important thing is that it's a closed loop system. Like you don't have waste that then you have to figure out how to get rid of and put in the waterways. And, um, and to your point, it really creates healthy soil. And so we always joke that, you know, our greens farmer, like, should we start encapsulating his soil so people can just, you know, eat the dirt? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting because when you, when people say, well, you know, it's not scalable, so on and so on. The truth is there's so much degraded land on the planet. There's, there's so much land, like 40% of our agricultural land can only be used for grazing. It upcycles the nutrients that humans can't eat into really high quality food. And the, the, the animals actually help build ecosystems. So, and, you know, if, if, if you're a vegan, you might not realize this, but or vegetarian, that, that the act of agriculture is inherently destructive. And there's been research on this looking at just, for, just through plant agriculture, we kill 7 billion animals a year. 7 billion. Now, we only eat 29 million cows, but we kill 7 billion animals through the way we farm, right? We kill the bunnies and the gophers and the rabbits and the mice and the squirrels and the the birds and the insects. And it's like when you add it all up, it's like, so how do you measure? Is the life of a mouse less than the life of a cow? I don't know. I mean, I, I just a question people should think about. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, you know, agriculture, is, and re, what the beautiful thing about regenerative ag is that you actually bring back all this life to the farm. You bring back these animals. You bring back the biodiversity. You bring back the ecosystems. You bring back the pollinators. It's sort of like, wow, it's a whole different frame, right? I'm getting back re- to nature. Rewild the farm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you talked a lot about 
how these pesticides, herbicides, glyphosate, et cetera, can impact the health of the planet. But what are you seeing in people and patients? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. If, if you, if you, it's, it's hard to, to quantify things like that because um, we're all basic toxic waste dumps, right? And I test people. I test people's urine. I test people's blood. You know, anybody on the planet has high levels of these compounds in them. Um, I try to eat really clean. I try to watch what I'm doing. I definitely don't buy GMO foods. I travel, so I don't always know what I'm getting. And I tested my urine for glyphosate. And I'm like, I'm going to have, no, it's not going to have any glyphosate. And I was like, I was in the 50th percentile, which isn't the worst, but it's like, it was 50%, uh, I was worse than 50% of the population. <laughs> and I've checked, you know, you have, and the, the average newborn, when they're born, and the umbilical cord blood has 287 known toxic chemicals, yeah. including pesticides, herbicides, heavy metals, phthalates, PCBs, parabens. I mean, just you name it, it's like it's in there. So, it, you know, the effect on human health is real and it causes um, mimicking, hormone mimicking effects that can be, can be cancer causing. It can disrupt fertility. We know that these chemicals lead to uh, various kinds of illnesses like obesity and diabetes. These are called obesogens. I've written a lot about this. Uh, it can be linked to, obviously, uh, even things like Alzheimer's. Um, so uh, Parkinson's, for example, is one of, the, one of the diseases that is really well known. And even regular doctors will understand that that is a, uh, a disease that's often caused by chemicals. So the, one of the highest risk populations in the world for getting Parkinson's is farmers. Wow. Right? Wow. Pesticides kill 10 to 20,000 people a year through mostly farm workers. Uh, in kids, it's been estimated that exposure to pesticides and kids who live around these farms, that they, uh, they, they've lost 41 million IQ points because of the effect on cognitive function. I could go on and on, and I don't want to depress people, but there are very real effects of these. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, what you can do is is do your best to reduce your exposures by filtering your water, eating organic, having uh, you know uh, household products that aren't toxic, having skincare products that aren't toxic. You know, I'm on the board of the Environmental Working Group, and there's a lot of great information on ewg.org where people can find how to get the right food, the right the right household products, the right skincare products, and so forth. And it's really a wonderful resource for people. And these are very sophisticated databases, and you can put in your face cream. Yeah, they're and, skin deep. Yeah, database. skin deep database. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I had this woman, she's like, oh, I'm never going to get skin cancer. I'm putting sunblock on all the time. I'm like, okay, great. Let's check your paraben levels. Or you checked her urine, which is like off the chart in paraben levels, which is, you know, a toxic petrochemical. Compound. Yeah. Are those things you suggest that we all test for? Um, no, or is it just I, scary I don't think information. So. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think you know. Uh, sometimes I'll, if I have a patient who's got you know real exposures or parking, like I I will dig in as a doctor. Got it. But I think for most of us, it's just being aware that we need to reduce our exposures. You know, I and I like my wife and I live in an apartment in New York City. You know, we have a big barn in the country with you know pretty clean environment but i'm like you know when you have your wi-fi you see like you know 100 wi-fi's yeah, come up I'm I like, know. and so in the cell service and the 5g and so so she got this thing that's like an emf detector and uh took it on my phone <laughs> and i was like scared the crap out of me because uh you know the, the background level in the apartment registered as extreme exposure wow which was like that's all of us in new york which was five okay put the phone on it it went to 5,000. No. Like 5,000. And then we bought this EMF-like canopy for our bed. 
uh-huh. and a mat under our bed. It sounds crazy, but I no, like, you are I know, like, we two Sedonians. When, I, when I go camping, blocker things yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I go camping, I like I, I, I sleep so well, and I'm like, why? And when the power goes off in my house, I sleep so well. I'm like, why is that? And I think you know, it, it's in part because of that. And I and I, I mean, I had this canopy thing, and I like rolled myself up in it, and I brought the EMF uh, detector in there, and it went from five thousand to point zero zero eight. So almost none. Wow. So we should walk around in EMF sheets forever. Well, actually, a friend of mine is creating a whole line of clothing. It's EMF blocking. Oh, cool. Because it was like, I was like, wow, we'll this is so easy. block the 5G. And is it cute awesome. clothing? It's hot, sexy cool. clothing. All you, right. you probably know my friend who's doing this. Right? <laughs> um, so a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today, a lot of the stuff in your book, it can be a little daunting, a little scary. One of the things I said, as I said earlier, is that you do talk about what to do. So could you maybe do two things for us. Could you list the three things, top three things we can do to like take care of our health and our planet? And you kind of spoke to them earlier, but maybe just round them up. And then the second part is you're a functional medicine doctor. And I personally feel really fortunate to know you and to know many other functional medicine doctors and have them in my orbit. But I also know many people that don't have access to functional medicine doctors. And we get questions from our clients daily. We just recommended someone to your center. Mm. We get questions all the time. I'm like, who do we recommend? So yeah, what three things can we do? And then so that we can be advocates of our own health when we go to our doctors, what kind of conversations can everyone have with their doctors if they don't have access to Mm. functional medicine doctors? Mm. It's a great question. So the first is what can you do? And in the book, I, I break it down to what you can do, what we can do as citizens and individuals, what businesses can do and what policymakers need to do. And then there's a whole category of philanthropists and NGOs and so forth. But, you know, we need to work on all levels. Like, it's, it's not just enough for us to do it. Because if, if we do it alone without the policy changing, it's not going to be enough. So that's, that's important to understand. But on a personal level, I, I, I want people to lean into the idea of being a regenitarian. And what does that mean? It's not meant to be restricted or a perfect attempt to eat in a certain way. But it's, it's understanding that your choices matter that your choice is about where you source your food from. So you can become a vegetarian by farming farmer's markets, by, you know, uh, someone once said, you know, seeing the face that feeds you, you know, shaking the farmer's mm-hmm. hand, you know. You can do it by starting a community garden and being part of, you know, that. You can start it by uh, starting your own compost pile, ending food waste. So I think that's really important. The, the second thing you can do, I think, is is really important is to, Vote with your uh, voice and, and also vote with your wallet. So the choices you make matter. That's why Kellogg's is changing their policy. That's why General Mills is, is changing what they're doing. This is what's, what is causing it. They're not doing it voluntarily. They're doing it because they see that's where things are going. And I think speaking up and being part of that change in whatever way you can do it in your community is great, whether it's going to your local municipal government and saying, you know, I want to start a compost ordinance here so everybody's got mandatory composting or, you know, working with the school board to improve school lunches. And there's a lot of examples in the book about how you can, you don't have to invent the wheel. There's ways to do it that are pretty simple. So being a little more active in your community around food and food food space, even in your workplace, you know, make it a a safe zone, you know, Mm -hmm. make your home a safe zone. (laughs) Yeah. 
And and the, the third thing I think that people can do is it may they may people may be allergic to this, but I think you know becoming more politically active. Vote your vote matters. Fifty three percent of Americans voted in the last election, which was more than like any previous midterm election in history. Right, fifty three percent. I mean, we have a privilege of living in a democracy, and we abdicate that privilege and let people who actually want to drive the agenda, who aren't the majority, create the agenda. Uh, which is why we have the situation we have now. It's a level of apathy. And our choices matter. People care and people listen. And, and, and if you if you are uh, active in different ways, whether it's food policy action, just being part of that community, they're really simple tools to be able to speak to your, your legislators. Um, voting is really important, finding candidates who represent your ideas and helping them. Uh, it's, 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 it's something that we, we need to get back into having a representative democracy because we don't anymore. We have... In democracy that is usurped by corporations, um, it's not for the people, by the people, of the people. It's for the corporations, by the corporations, of the corporations. And my friend Bobby Kennedy calls it a corporate kleptocracy. And when you see, you know, you see $192 million being spent on one bill by the food industry, the GMO labeling law, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, how many other people who are scientists or who care about these issues and know a lot about it have that kind of money to fight back? And I think yeah. all of us can be part of that solution. Mm. That's great. And as so far as finding that. a functional medicine doctor, you know, I think uh, the beauty of functional medicine is that if you apply the basic principles, most of the time things get better without a doctor. And I just hear these stories over and over again. People read my books, like this soldier. Like my, my, I never saw him as a patient. He got better, mm. right? And I hear this over and over again. So I think people should be empowered to be the CEO of their own health mm-hmm. and to take control of their biology and understand that they, they have to experiment a little bit with food and different approaches. But there's a lot you can do on your own. If that fails, then, you know, we're certainly available at the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox, Massachusetts. I have a team that probably has 60 years of functional medicine experience, which is probably nowhere else on the planet. We're old now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But also, um, there's a great uh, resource online, ifm.org, where you can find a practitioner and look for a certified practitioner. So that there are a lot more of us being trained, and we're involved in that. So it's it's all coming along, but making I think, progress. Yeah, but I, I would I would encourage people to try things on their own because mm. most of the time, if you you know eat a healing diet, if you do something that kind of resets your system, you get to see what's left over. Now you might have mercury poisoning, you might have Lyme disease, you might have something mold that you need to be dealt with, but a lot of stuff gets better. Mm. Uh, and it's partly why I created uh, this new program. I've never really created a, a program like this before because uh, I didn't really want to get involved in you know supplements or different things but or shakes. But I, I realized that these, this works so well for my patients for 30 years and I wanted to make it available. And uh, it's called the 10-Day Reset, and you can go to getpharmacy.com with an F, G-E-T-F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. And essentially, it's a 10-day program that involves changes in food, changes in habits, and changes in just a little bit of supplements to help boost your nutrition with coaching that allows you for 10 days to really tr- see what happens if you hit the reset button on your biology. It's like rebooting your computer. Mm-hmm. What goes away? I mean, I had one guy come up and he says, Dr. Hyman, is it possible that my rheumatoid arthritis went away in 10 days because I changed my diet? I'm like... Yeah, if it was something you were eating, like gluten, because <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes it's gluten that's causing rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. So, so we we see these miracles that happen. Which one woman is like, her she was on insulin for ten years. She got off insulin in three days. So we we see remarkable miracles. People's migraines go away. Their irritable bowel goes away. Their insomnia gets better. Their energy gets better. Their acne goes away. Their eczema gets. better. I mean, it's just all this stuff that we think we have yeah. to live with, and it doesn't. And you see this with your program too. When yeah. you feed yeah. people these foods, it's like. 
It's so easy. It's so in their yeah. own hands. Yeah. Yeah. Health is in their own we hands. We have a 10-day reset that I think might be very similar. We should just collaborate on one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The new 10-day reset. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to um, do light work? Sure. So as you know, we like to end our sessions with what we call light work. It's a practice for all our Sakara Light listeners to help them break out of the mundane, to challenge themselves to shine their lights a little bit brighter out there mm. in the world. Mm. So we'd love for you to share some sort of practice or challenge with our listeners. You know, I think one of the most important things, important issues today for um, for us, for our planet, is is really about food. And um, if you can be someone who becomes educated about what's happening and you can be a voice for truth and you can speak truth to power and you can make small changes in your own life, um, that light will become, like George Bush said, a thousand points of light and that will change everything. Mm. So you're challenging people to get educated. Yeah, to get educated about this issue and to start to make small changes in their own life and to be activists in their own families, communities, workplace, schools, and mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, on policy levels, if they're interested in doing that. Be the change you want to see. Yep. Yeah. So I definitely recommend your book, Food Fix. Congratulations on Thank this you. book. It's so important for people to be reading, and I think it's very timely with everything that's going on in the world, especially during an election year. Just Yeah, well, that's why I wrote it now, because it's like it's designed for the election. It's, it's for now. Yeah. yeah, for right now. Well, we adore you. Thank you so thank much you. for coming, and thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. I had a really hard time holding back tears throughout that entire conversation, and it just feels like we have to we have to act now with all those things that we talk about here at Sakara, all the choices that we make for our own health is are also the choices that we make for the health of the planet, for the health of our children. And reading his book, it's like it the urgency really hit me. Mm. And listening to him, you know, face to face with him, you see the urgency. Like I could just, I could feel it from him. Like now's the time. If we want anything to change, now's the time. Yeah. No, this is a very important conversation to be having. I think a very timely conversation um, not just because it's an election year and how much we can do with our own vote, but because this is urgent. We need to make a change in the state of the environment, in the state of our health as a country and the entire global community. And if we don't right now, you know, it it'll sounds like late. it'll be too late. Yeah, and... And my biggest takeaway from, you know, this conversation was the choices that we make to heal ourselves are the choices that heal the planet. Mm. And that's the beauty of it, right? Is that once we decide to take care of ourselves, we are taking care of the planet. Right. And so much of it is about us taking our health into our own hands and becoming educated in learning what is healthy for ourselves and being able to make those choices every single day for ourselves and therefore for the planet. I'm still holding back the tears. 
it's okay. It's, you can let it out. It's so that. overwhelming. I mean, even just talking about how many chemicals are, you know, in our children. Right. I think this one hit you especially hard being a mother. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. And, you know, I guess it's it's nice to know that somebody that's so in it like he is sees that change is possible, that it's not too late, that we have that we have time, but it's just not a lot of time. In our conversation with Dr. Mark Hyman, we talked a lot about the power of food as medicine, how it can affect everything from the health of our planet and our economy to your own personal individual health. Here is Laura Ellen's Sakara story. I have quite a serious genetic cholesterol problem. I've always done a great job of cooking my own gluten-free vegan meals, but my cholesterol remained so dangerously high that I was scheduled to be sent to have cholesterol dialysis at an out-of-state facility. After two weeks on your 2020 reset program, my cholesterol was tested. My HDL and LDL both dropped over 100 points. My cardiologist is ecstatic, as am I. My cholesterol had not budged in years. It's clear that there's some Saqqara magic, perhaps in the oils you use, that can deliciously extend my life. I thank you, thank you, thank you. The last several months have been medically worrisome, though all of my limbs are in braces and the pain in my muscles is draining. It's diminishing. I feel healthier and stronger than I have in several years. Thank you very much for your significant contributions to my health. I love that even in the midst of maybe losing hope, we could give her a little hope that there is a path to feeling a little bit better and a little bit better. And it's also such a, a story to oftentimes we always think we're eating well and taking care of ourselves. And I think one of the reasons Sakara does have such an impact on people is because we hold the line to health and nutrition a lot tighter than I think people can do for themselves. And then we hide it with deliciousness. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more than just the oils that we use, but that's definitely a piece of it for sure. There really is a little bit of magic in there. I think that magic is, uh, we like to call that the love, made with love. Made with love. Definitely made with love for you, Laura Allen. We're really wishing you continued health on your health journey. We're here for you. Whitney, are you crying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These Sakara stories are just really hard for me. I know. No, me too. Laura Ellen, we're thinking of you, and we're so grateful we're on this journey together, and we wish you continued health. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com or send us a DM at Sakara Life. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. This podcast was recorded live at Noya House in New York City. 